if you would please turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Our focus is verses 5 through 12. 5 through 12. We'll have a word of prayer. And we'll see what the word of the Lord tells us. Father, we come before you. Father, I pray that we who are gathered here this day are desperate for you. Father, you overwhelm us with your presence. You overwhelm us with your very word. Father, that we who are called by your name, we who understand the name by which men are saved, understand the urgency of the day, the preciousness of this worship time, and the joy of the resurrection. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Father, that you have allowed us to be a part of it. Thank you, Father. Your word, for your spirit, Father, for your precious church and these precious souls as we labor to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christ's name. Amen. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We are looking at verses 5 through 12. And you're not going to believe this, but we are almost done. Um, I sat down and calculated it through last night. And we should finish up this book by the first Sunday of August. What? You didn't think we were almost done? There's not that much left. I know. So why August? (laughs) Oh, which year? (laughs) All right. Um, We're almost done. Um, I, I will be honest with you on this text, and I'll read it here in a minute. When I read this, and I have read this every day now, for um, almost 10 years, nine years, I've been reading this. And I will be honest with you, and I know many of you will can never say this, but I wasn't really blessed with this text. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't rock my universe with, wow. Um, I bow before it every day and it just didn't say a lot to me. You think I'm kidding you? Follow along as we read the text. I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes to you, See that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him. 
but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come later when he has opportunity. What in the world is that? Uh, I mean, and that would be like you calling Stephanie, finding out where Terry is in Russia. And I'm sure that it would just bless you. I mean, what is this text saying? I'm going here. I might go there. And if he comes there, take care of him and he will come and he may come and he may not come. Amen. All right. How in the world do you preach this? Yeah, yeah. This is the difficult text. Um, what is taught, and I, I think whenever I study Scripture, whenever I'm reading Scripture, I'm saying, how does this help? Any suggestions here? Um, so I read it over and over and over, and I come back to this conclusion that why in the world does the Lord include all of this in Holy Scripture? And what is it saying? And I know that God doesn't put it in here for no reason. So I'm a little slower than most. But I shared with you guys in my Sunday school class that there's times that when I'm dealing with a text that I can't really get my hand on it. I don't know what's being said. This one would fit that mold. <laughs> And so there are times in Scripture, what I will do is I will take the letter and I will write it out as a letter. All right? And when I did that with this text, it's really clear on what the text is and why is it in here. Okay? And there's a framework that you will see and the framework begins actually in chapter 15, verse 58. And you will see that it is almost a parenthetical statement squeezed between chapter 15:58 and 16:10. Okay? And it points to something that is of great value to you and I this day. Work to the Lord. Work to the Lord. If you read verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Verse 10, Now if Timothy comes to you, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, because he is doing the Lord's work as I am also. Okay? So if you put those two frames in there, these two bookends in there, do you see what we have in the middle? Do you understand that the collection is part of the work of the Lord? Do you understand that he in this text, 5 through 12, is saying we are doing the Lord's work, but we are doing it the Lord's way? 
I know a whole bunch of people who are busting their butts for Jesus. They're just not doing it his way. And I believe that in these next few weeks, you will see it and you will, it will shine brightly. Okay. See, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm going here. I may be coming there, but I'm thinking about doing this. I might do this. And it's all insight into what Paul is doing in the work of the Lord. Do you realize that uh, six years ago, I met with a group of pastors from around the United States on how can we be proactive in the land of Russia instead of reactive in the land of Russia? How in the world do we take a country that has 11 time zones and get the gospel and get these guys preaching the Bible, not based on an emotional outburst, but based on being diligent and rightly dividing truth? 11 time zones. How do you do that? And we sat and we prayed and we fasted and we studied the scriptures and we can come up with a thing. We called it the Antioch initiative. You know what that was? Five pastors in Antioch, Syria were busy with the things of God teaching teachers. And they fasted and they prayed and they showed themselves diligent in the word of the Lord. And they said the Holy Spirit came upon in them in absolute unity and said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have set for them. And there we began the Antioch Initiative. We had two locations in a country of 11 time zones that we poured ourselves into and have been pouring ourselves into. And my only response to this was, how can we finance this? How do we help them financially? And then all of a sudden they said, well, will you teach? And I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to teach. And then I, you know what? I was at that time was teaching Romans and I was teaching first Corinthians. I'll go teach those two. You know how many times I've been there now? Six. No, it's not because I'm that slow teaching Romans and first Corinthians. I've taught the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because I've taught that on a Sunday night. I've taught the doctrine of salvation because that is my biggest battle in this world today, in our community today, is what is salvation and do you have it? I taught the doctrine of God. Who is God? In all that He is. I taught First Corinthians. I taught Romans. Why? Because I was busy about the Lord's work. You're going to see this in the weeks to come, brothers and sisters. What makes me tick and what just fires me up? And I would like to tell you that it's complicated, but it isn't. In this text, I have found six principles for doing the Lord's work the way the Lord says to do it. That's in your outline. And it's going to take me a few times. It's going to take me seven weeks. Because here he says in verse 58, be steadfast in what? What does it say? Immovable. You know what that means? There's not multiple ways to do this. There's only one way to do this. And it says here that you are doing this when? Always abounding. You know what that means, right? At all times. When am I supposed to be doing the Lord's work? And it literally means you need to be overdoing it. In the work of the Lord. Are you overdoing it in the work of the Lord? Listen, when somebody comes up to you, and I pray that they will, and comes up to you and says, look, 
you're doing too much, then you've just begun to respond properly to this text. That's just the beginning when they say you're doing too much. I have had people leave this church because they say I spend too much time in the scripture and I look at them with all the love I can muster and say, you're not spending enough. Well, you don't understand. I have a job. I have a family. Don't fit the text, people. If you're already spending too much time, then you're just getting started to where you need to be in the things of the Lord. Listen, doing the work of the Lord, shall I say, is a very vital thing. And yet our society today says, I will hire a minister. I would argue that you are the minister. Now, you may be lazy. You may not be overdoing it. You may not be doing anything. But that's between you and him. And guess what? If you're smart over the next six weeks, you won't be here. Because you will be accountable to what you will receive in the next six weeks. So, first question. What is the work of the Lord? I mean, it's obvious he's got something up his sleeve. But if I'm supposed to be overdoing it, I would prefer to know what doing it is. What is the work of the Lord? You know what? Here's the problem that has plagued us. The answer is simple. To find out what the work of the Lord is, I just need to find out what the Lord was doing when he was here working. I I know you're expecting something profound, (laughs) but that's it. What was he doing when he was here? Because that would be the Lord's work. And you know what? I can take, and (laughs) I can take what the Lord Jesus Christ did, and I can summarize it into two things, and everything he did fits into those two things. All right? Two things. Evangelize and edify. Now think about it for a second. I'm not... I I know you're wanting to say, well, but he walked on water. He raised the dead. He made bread. You know, he made storms stop and beat up demons and all kinds of things. But if you look at what Jesus did, his work, everything fits into those two things. Evangelize and edify. Okay? In the book of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 19, verse 10, it says this. Jesus himself says this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know what that is, right? That's evangelize. All right? And then you go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. 
And he says this to these. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40, 40 days. Okay, Jesus, showing that he was raised from the dead, appeared to him for 30, 40 days. What was he doing? He was speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. You know what that is, right? Edification. Do you understand that? See, the key here is reaching the lost. And once they're lost, what? Teaching them the things of the faith. That's a massive. That's it. It all fits there. On one hand, he preached the gospel to the people who didn't know him. On the other hand, he talked to the people who did know him. So if I'm doing the Lord's work, guess what I'm doing? Evangelizing. And strengthening the saints for the work of ministry, service. Well, I really wish it was more complicated. (laughs) But that's it. And anything less than that is a perversion of what the Lord wants done. Hmm, fascinating. Don't you think that's fascinating? Now, does anybody understand why I think it's important that we read the Bible? See, that is the work of the Lord. Evangelism and edification. Winning to Christ and building them up in the understanding of the faith. That's what Jesus did when he was here. And if I'm going to do the Lord's work, then I would probably be in good um, fashion doing it his way. He spent part of his ministry, that three years ministry, okay, proclaiming the gospel to the masses. And after he was done, he would go off onto a hillside with his disciples and teach them what he had said and explain it to it. Make the sense of it, I believe, as the book of Nehemiah says. On one hand, he evangelizes, he reaches to the lost, and then he took those who believe and he built them up and strengthened them for the task that was before him. That's what the work of the Lord is. That's what the work of the Lord was when he was here. And one, a little footnote on this, um, by the way, it isn't ever defined in Scripture as easy. Actually, if you're truly honest with Scripture, it is always defined as difficult, extraordinarily difficult. If you go back to your text here in uh, 1558, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay, the word Work there is sometimes translated labor um, or toil or work. Um, And the word here in the original language is fascinating because it literally means to exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. That's why I have problems with fat preachers. 
I'm thinking they're not exhausting themselves. Calorie in, calorie out. Ain't that how? I don't, maybe not. I, do you see what I'm trying to get at? How many people do you see overdoing it to the point of exhaustion for the Lord? It's labor. G. Campbell Morgan said this way, quote, Paul has in mind the kind of toil that has in it the red blood of sacrifice, the kind of toil that wearies and weakens all along the way. Unquote. Well, that's G. Campbell Morgan. All right, we'll try this one. Chapter 2, verse 30. Of book of Philippians, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Speaking of Epaphroditus. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Do you ever think about it? The church in Philippi had sent Epaphroditus there to help Paul and Epaphroditus had been so diligent in his assistance to the Apostle Paul that he almost died from exhaustion. Welcome to ministry. Ever thought about that? Because of the work of Christ, he came near to death. Because of his toil for Christ, because of his labor for Christ, because of his exertion for Christ, he overdid it. The guy was literally working himself to death for Christ. What do you think about that? Back to your text in chapter 15, verse 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always overdoing it. Okay. And, and, and you know, when you look at this, now think about what I'm saying. And I mean, everybody's sitting there going, man, I thought the givings thing was a pain. Now he's got it in here. We're going to have to work ourselves to death for Jesus. Ain't there a song about that? Work your bony fingers and you end up with bony fingers or something like that. But see, you don't get that because it says there at the end of verse 58 that your toil is not in vain. It is not empty. It is not pointless. It is not unproductive. It is not useless. It is not fruitless. See, when you do it that way, then I know that the purpose is Christ. When I do it that way, then I know it will matter. It will make a difference. You know what? I watch people in droves who step up to help Jesus as long as they see what they believe is positive effect. And you know what? I, I don't see that in the Bible. Anywhere. 
I do not see that anywhere. Now, I don't want my work to be in vain. But here's the thing. Was Jeremiah's work in vain? But I don't see anybody getting saved in Jeremiah's ministry. I don't see anybody getting edified in Jeremiah's ministry. Judah and Benjamin went the way of the northern tribes. And if you look at it in our model today, what do you classify that in? Successful or a failure? I mean, you know, I got to write the book of Lamentations. It's just a big bunch of lamenting. Whoa! Sign me up! What seminary did you go to? I was reading about a missionary who was just completing his, and I beg your forgiveness, I forgot his name, but he he was preparing for the ministry. And he was coming out, and he had just married a young, wonderful bride, and he wanted to go to the mission fields, and God opened a door for him to go to Herbanese in the Indonesian change. Okay? They had no written language. He didn't know their language. And they also had a small character flaw. They were cannibals. Now listen, you just finished your master's work in seminary, so you know you're ready. And you're going to send me where? And so a ship takes him, and the ship ain't even smart, stupid enough to get close to the island. They put him on a little boat and say, later. And he stands on the coast so that, you know, in case I got to get out of here. In his first year into it, God blesses his wife and him, and he expects a child. In the birth of the child, the mother and the child both die. And he buries them right there on the coast. And at night, he has to sleep on their grave to keep these people from eating their bodies. Are you ready for ministry? Are you ready to do it to the point of exhaustion? The king of the main tribe there came to salvation. He says, I do not understand who the vast army was that protected you every night. And it was the angelic host. Because God had his man at where he wanted him. And that whole tribe of cannibals came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But he never had any children in his wife. Hmm. See, there's a lot of people who work and are busy for Christ today. They're all busy around the church. But you know what? Paul told the Thessalonians not to be busybodies. And it's a play on words. It's what it is. It's onomatopoeic. It says all they do is make noise. They're not doing anything. 
And they claim that they are in the ministry. I look around today and guess what? I see people who are busy. I was talking to a guy who told me 400 people came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ last year. I was like, where? Well, here. Well, how do you know they came? Because I asked them if they wanted to be saved and they raised their hands. Well, does that work? Because if that worked, then your job just got started. And I can tell by your life that you are not fulfilling the work of the Lord. See, they're doing the Lord's work. That's evangelism and edification. And Jesus Christ, they killed him. How are you going to do? See, it's the Lord's way. That's the principle that is given to you here in 5 through 12. See, it's, I think it's easiest for me to spot it this way. I see busyness today in the body of Christ, and it has absolutely no fruit. Okay? And what I mean by fruit, it only, fruit that I'm talking about is only eternal. And, you know, um, I think it comes in two lines. I think one of it is that man is doing it in the flesh, in his own strength, his own abilities, his own talents. I think the other one, and maybe the largest one, is laziness. I think that the body of Christ in this country, in this community, is lazy. I think we're busy in many cases. We're doing a lot. We're spending a lot of time. But the question is this, is it the work of the Lord or is it just busyness? Because evangelism and edification take time and they are difficult. What God wants us to do is to work hard. Okay, what God wants us to do is to overdo it working hard. He wants us to do His work, but He wants us to do it His way. By the way, His way has very, very strict guidelines. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. You're going to build a building, right? Let's say you're going to build a building. I want to build a house. I'm going to build an office building. I'm going to build something, okay? I want a new barn, or I want a, a newer house or an older house, and I'm going to redo it or whatever, right? When you get ready to build a house, what do you do? You sort of got to get a plan, don't you think? Probably get you an architect or somebody draw out some blueprints to say, you know, or are you just going to keep throwing boards up until you're done? I'm out of boards. Must be finished. No, I don't think so. Why? You're going to get some plans, right? And then you're going to run into this really weird thing. You're going to find out that there is a local code that you have to build to. Right? And then... Once you've got those two put together, you can build it to the code based on the plans. Then what happens? Somebody comes and inspects it. Don't they? And you know what? 
Try to do it another way. Just try it. It's pleasant. I know a person right now who built a house, never pulled a permit, never had an inspection on it, and the house sits empty today. You can't get in it. It is barred. And the only way that the county will let him enter it is if he tears it all down and rebuilds it with its inspections. It's a complete house. It's drywall. It's got windows. It's got everything in it. No lights because they won't give service to it because he never had it inspected. So try it. All right. When you're doing the work of the Lord, you have to have a plan. Right? And it would be really good to go to the architect. And you probably ought to know, wonder what his plan would be. Then you're going to find out that he has a criteria of code enforcement that he has to do. And then guess what? You have to allow it to be exposed to the divine inspector to find out if the work is good or not. We have to do the Lord's work, right? But we have to do it His way. How important is this? Well, let me ask you a question. That'll take you back a few. I guess it's a few years, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <laughs> Verses 12 through 14. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed by fire. Now that doesn't sound good. Have you ever burned yourself? You just don't get a lot of people signing up for that, do you? Which means that there's going to be in this building process, what? Difficulty, pain. Anybody here try to pour yourself into somebody and got discouraged because of the outcome? Once or twice, maybe, huh? Right? But the question I will ask you, is it wood, hay, or stubble? Or is it precious stone, gold, and silver? Because it will be tested. I guarantee you it will be tested. How important is this? Go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, 1 Corinthians deals with your personal holiness. 2 Corinthians deals with, there's the ministry. Okay? And we'll be going into that, should the Lord tarry. Chapter 5, verse 10. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Did you get that? There will be a judgment, and it's a judgment seat, and it'll be of those people who are where? In the church. In the church. And your work will be evaluated by who? The building inspector. And he will say, did you look at the blueprint? No, I just kept throwing boards up until I run out of wood. Oh, did you look at the code enforcement that I placed on it? 
And then if you take in light of 1 Corinthians 3, how did it do against the fire? When the travails of this world came against it, what did it do? Don't you think that's fascinating? I thought it was fascinating. Then I think about Epaphroditus working himself for the cause of Christ. And I, well, I'll get into that again. And you remember that text because I'm coming back to that one. Have another text. The book of discipleship, I call it. Second Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Be diligent. You know what that means, right? When you think about be diligent, it should be to the point of exhaustion. Okay? There are certain things that you and I do in our lives that we are diligent at, aren't we? And there's some things that just motivate you and you just have a blast doing it and you work your tail off to get it done and you want it done right. Don't you? I mean, well, maybe not. I don't know. Okay? There's things that, man, I'm just, this is exactly what I want to do and I want this thing done right and I'm going to be diligent and I'll work myself to exhaustion for it because I want this specific in the way that I believe it has to be done. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy here in verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. It is extraordinarily difficult to build something never looking at the blueprints. I don't care if you've got every piece of material you need stacked up sitting there. If you don't look at the blueprints, the guidelines, you're going to end up with a mess and a whole bunch of extra parts. Do you think it's any different with the things of the Lord? One last text. Um, this text is uh, my favorite of all time, I think. Probably right in there anyway. Chapter 1, verse 28, 29, the book of Colossians. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. Oh, some fascinating words there. Don't you see them? Do you know what labor means? To the point of exhaustion, striving means that I will overdo it to the point of my own physical death if I have to. What are you going to do, Paul? That you would labor to the point of exhaustion and you would overdo it to your own personal health issues. Easy. Proclaiming Him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, I can look at that text and as I pull it apart in the syntax, I can say, I can look at this and see no problem. I'm trying to present every man complete in Christ. I know I'm going to have to strive and labor. That there is, is a challenge. You will work some overtime on that one. But if I'm going back to... 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, then if I do not want to be ashamed at the appearing of Christ, then what will I be diligent at? Rightly dividing truth. I get into trouble for this. There are not multiple interpretations of this book. There's multiple applications, but there is not multiple interpretations. But the problem is, there's no diligence in looking at the book. That's why when I say, you know what, we got 12 verses left to finish up this book, and I should finish it up in about 16 weeks. Why? Because when I'm done with it, you guys are without excuse. Why? We're proclaiming Him, admonishing, teaching, all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. When you think about the Lord's work and the Lord's way, it has a vision, it has flexibility, it has commitment, it has challenge, it has unity, and it has leading. And you can't say, I'm doing the best out of six. You know, I got four out of six. No, because when the inspector comes, how does it stand up? Okay, now, if you never build a house or anything like that, then that's fine. You know what, I, 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 I'm an electrician, and there's times I get, have to go through electrical inspectors, and I know that electrical inspectors uh, are inspectors because they could never make it in the profession. And so they like to throw around their weight. They will write you up for stuff that you're sitting there going, what? Well, they will. But how is God's standard? It is only holy and it is only perfect. And if you're going to do the Lord's work, it has to be done the Lord's way and it can only be holy and it can only be perfect. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks. This is vital. This is vital. Because it is our responsibility to proclaim, to admonish, and to teach with the wisdom of God so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Two things. We reach the lost. We seek that which is lost. And then after it is saved, we strengthen it so it will replicate itself. That is our task. Every one of us. And it can only be done the way the Lord says to do it. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us the privilege to be about your business. And the Father, I pray for these precious people and myself, Lord, that we, with an eagerness and an expectation, are willing to work to the point of exhaustion, weariness, to your glory and to your praise. Father, only your work is eternal. 
Help us to be overwhelmed with that truth. And yet, Father, help us to be eagerly um, striving for its fulfillment. Father, I think about the young missionary who lost his wife and family. And yet, he listened to you. He understood the challenge. And yet, Father, his commitment was unwavering to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may we be there. May we be there. To your glory, Lord, in this time, this age, this day of the resurrection and the Passion Week, may we draw deep upon the resurrection. Father, walking in it in a way that we will be steadfast and immovable, laboring, abounding always in your work so that our work, our labor, our toil is not in vain. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.